You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Today I'd like to present to you a product that's made a big difference to my daily routine. So I recently subscribed to the Morning Navigator newsletter, written by Tony Greer, who is a 30-year veteran trader in the financial markets. I think it's very important to be responsible with your personal finances and investments, and you can't do that without understanding the financial markets. So this is where the Morning Navigator fills in a specific need for me. If you're trying to find actionable trade ideas or just educate yourself about the markets, this publication will do both. Tony is a great writer, so when he ties together themes in global markets every day, he does it in a way that I can understand. The Morning Navigator makes complicated finance topics both easy and entertaining, and that's a service I'm personally happy to pay $55 a month for. Now, if that sounds interesting, you can sign up for a free trial today at tgmacro.com. That is tgmacro.com. If you enjoy the free trial and want to subscribe to the annual plan, then you can get a massive $100 off by using the discount code ZUBY at checkout. That is Z-U-B-Y to get $100 off an annual plan. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. So go check it out, tgmacro.com, and sign up for a free trial today. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on an entrepreneur and also the author of the brand new book, Bling. And this is, of course, Andy Seth. Welcome to the show. What's up? What's up, Zuby? I'm all blessed, man. How are you? Uh, Very blessed as well, man. Thanks for having me on, too. It's an absolute pleasure, man. Uh, So whereabouts in the the world are you right now? Well, I live in in Denver and uh, moved here about 12 years ago. And a lot of of people always ask me, you know, was I into like the mountains or like snowboarding or something? And the answer is actually no. I'm one of the few people that moved to Denver, I think, for opportunity. And, that, and I think as we hopefully as we start to share a, a lot of the, the story and journey I've been on, you'll kind of understand why. But I, I didn't move to the, to the uh, Mile High City for outdoor activities. I moved here for opportunity. Old, okay. old school hustle. Old school hustle, man. That, that sounds good. We can definitely get into that. So I've just done like a super brief introduction about who you are, but let the audience know who you are. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I think usually I like to start off by letting people know where I come from because I think it's formed so much of the path that I've had, the decisions that I make. And really it starts for me as um, being raised from the age of zero to 14 in Los Angeles um, in a little city that most people haven't heard of called Lomita. Um, it's a little hood and, and I was raised in, uh, we lived in a motel. So my family of four, my mom, dad, sister, and I, um, we lived in a motel till I was 14. Uh, it wasn't one that we owned. Um, even though back in the day I used to lie about that just to make myself not feel so ashamed really. Right. Like, uh, and it wasn't too far of a stretch. A lot of Indians owned, <laughs> owned motels. So it was, it was a believable threat. Um, Fair enough. but yeah, we just, we, we lived in there. Um, and I, you know, there's a lot of details that go into that, but that's generally a way that people can understand like where I was, 
you know, where I was raised and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the type of motel, like my, my parents would collect the rent. Um, my mom would do the laundry for tenants. So that's, a, it's, I don't think they do that anymore, but that's, that's a thing that they used to do. Our rooms didn't have um, bathrooms. So it looked okay. more like a dormitory if that, if in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom would, you know, clean the, the bathrooms in exchange for collecting rent and doing laundry and keeping the place clean. Um, we had a place to live and uh, it was only supposed to be for a couple of years, <laughs> a couple of years turned into a long time. Um, and there's a lot that goes with that, but that's really where I come from. So a lot of the work I do today uh, is very focused around helping low income kids get career and educational opportunities, both my business and my nonprofit work. Okay. Uh, all aim at that. And whereabouts are your parents originally from? From India? Yeah, my both my parents are from India. Um, and uh, we come from the birthplace of yoga. It's a town called Rishikesh. Okay. Uh, so a lot of the things that I've written about in Bling are actually lessons and kind of the ancient Eastern wisdom that has been passed along from generation to generation. Um, I've been blessed in that sense to learn really mm-hmm. from the source. Um, but I translated those messages into a more modern take because it was the way that uh, I learned that I knew if, if somebody had talked to me the way I'm talking in bling, like it would have resonated with, with me a lot more. This took me a long time to go down this path. Um, mm. I feel like sometimes it's just a matter of how you communicate your message. Mm-hmm. It'll touch some people and it'll touch them today. And I'm hoping that the message in bling um, will, will do just that. It'll touch people who are, kind of more into like the hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole story itself is a parable about a rapper. And so by, by taking those messages of where we're from, turning it into a more Western modern view, you know, I hope it makes it accessible to people to get these lessons in a way that they actually want to hear about them. Awesome. Well, I want to talk about the book in a little bit more detail in a moment, yeah. but I want to go back to your childhood story. Mm-hmm. So you said you grew up uh, from the age of zero to 14. Yeah. Living in a motel. And then what happened after that? So I was really fortunate, man. Um, I got a full scholarship to a high school in Indiana called Culver Military Academy. Um, Culver had, you know, donors who believed in this concept. Basically, if we could give a hardworking, low income kid a chance, Mm -hmm. maybe he or she will do something great with that. And it's not that it always happens that way. Uh, but I was the beneficiary of that philosophy. Um, if you will, I was a hardworking kid. I got really good grades. Um, and you know, my parents, uh, fortunately were willing to let me have that opportunity. You know, we lived in LA and and the schools in Indiana. Um, and so that really changed the trajectory of my life in more ways than one. Um, but you can imagine here, I'm the culture shock that would have occurred, right? I mean, it was, uh, it's a conservative, military boarding school in the cornfields of Indiana. (laughs) You can infer what you want from that, but it's a stark contrast to the life I lived in Los Angeles. Yeah, sure. I've just been to LA for the first time ever in September. So Uh um, yeah. And then I went from, I went from LA to San Francisco. Then I went and spent three weeks in Texas, then then Georgia, then Tennessee, then uh, (laughs) DC and then New York. So yeah, right. I, uh, I didn't hear I got, Indiana in that though. Oddly. No, I have actually been to Indiana though. You have? Yeah, I have been to Indiana. One of my where did uncles. you go? Um, I've been to oh gosh, what's it called? Fort Wayne. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, one of my uncles used to live in Fort Wayne, so awesome. <laughs> I've been there, but not not for a really long time. I don't. Yeah, really, but you. Really so you you've like. traveled enough to see the the differences. Yeah, certainly, between, certainly between those. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, so what was it like there for you? I mean, how did you find it and what did you learn there? It was like a college experience in many ways. It was a, you know, boarding school at the time, it was 25,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So who, who can afford to send high school kids, uh, at 25,000 back in, you know, I went to school in 93 to 96. Um, that's basically paying for college twice, mm. high school and then college. So aside from the, the obvious cultural differences that existed, what I saw was there was a whole other world of people that existed that I just didn't know about, Mm. you know, going to that school didn't open my eyes to, wow, there's actually people who have tremendous amount of money. I think once I got to the school, I started to realize what that meant. I, I, it didn't really occur to me when I was 
uh, enrolling. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it was just a place that I was going to go to school and, and whatnot. Um, military, there is a leadership system, not a disciplinary system. And that's an important thing because a lot of people thought, or when they hear that I went to a military academy, they think, oh, were you a bad kid? And I'm like, actually, quite the contrary. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the discipline style of military academies uh, drove academies to go out of business, New York Military Institute being one of them. Um, uh, that's actually where Trump went. Um, okay. Maybe no correlation, maybe. <laughs> um, so was but, that basically them being like, like too strict? Is that it was them that saying, was? send us your problem, child, okay. and we'll fix them. Okay, gotcha. And while that worked to enroll people, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of alumni wants to give back? Okay, I see. Yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. Like, who, who, nobody, and, and, and at some point, people don't want to admit, like, I've got a problem, kid. Anyways, um, for Culver, they never took that approach. It was always a leadership system. I thrived there. You know, um, I did, uh, there was a moment that was really pivotal to me that I, I would love to, to share with you because um, there's sometimes where those moments in life kind of change, you know, your view, your mm-hmm. mindset. Um, it was my plebe year, plebe meaning my first year there. Uh, and I was having a really rough go of it every which way. Um, and the military system was intense. And uh, I went, I had basically resolved in my mind for the most part to leave the school and to come back home. And I went to go see my commandant of cadets, Colonel Shine. Um, Colonel Shine did multiple tours in Vietnam. He's, a, he's kind of a badass. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I went to him and I said, basically, Colonel Shine, you know, I'd, I'd like, I'm thinking about leaving the school, uh, but I wanted to talk to you and, you know, in a way, get his permission, I guess. Um, sure. And he, he sat me down, but he, he said one thing. He said, Seth, my last name, Seth, you don't walk into this school with respect. No one knows your last name. No one knows who your parents are. So you've got to earn it. In order to earn it, you've got to beat them. Mm-hmm. Beat them athletically, beat them militarily, and beat them academically. When you beat them, you'll earn their respect. Yeah. And you know, that resonated hard. Um, uh, that was something I could do. It was within my control was to be the best. Now, I will tell you, I didn't quite just stop at like the beat them. I actually wanted people to be like my friend. <laughs> it wasn't like, <laughs> you know, um, beat them, ha ha. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but, but that was what triggered, you know, really like this new mindset for me, which was, oh, it's in my control. I, mm-hmm. I just need to be the best I can be. And it will, I believed it will result in like me being at the top of the school. And by the time I graduated, um, I graduated cum laude, top five in my class academically. Nice. Uh, I graduated top rank in my, in my school from a military standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a four-year uh, varsity letterman all three seasons. And so like, if you were to put, it, put me on paper, I look pretty good in terms of like, hey, we have this belief. Mm-hmm. and we can help a kid and he'll take advantage of it. I, I most certainly took every advantage of it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, man. were you surrounded by other people who were kind of doing the same thing? Because, I mean, I'm someone who went to, uh, I went to boarding school in the UK for seven years. Uh-huh. And, you know, I feel like you get, you get a real mix of people there. You know, you, you, get, yeah. you get the people who are really like, who kind of did what you said, right? They understood that, okay, my parents are paying a lot of money for me to go here. This is a privilege. This is a special opportunity that most people don't have access to. So let me make the most of it and really, really maximize it. Some people took that approach, but then you also had the opposite where, you know, you'd get people who, you know, parents have a lot of money or run businesses or whatever, and they just completely coasted, didn't put in any work, didn't, you know, just weren't, weren't turning up to classes, getting terrible grades, you know, just really squandering their parents' money. Yeah. I mean, my family yeah. background is originally from Nigeria. I know you're from an Indian family. There are mm-hmm. certain stereotypes that go with that, but these <laughs> stereotypes come from a place, right? They do, so, they do. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I For knew sure. I was like, look, I, I can't go and be, be getting like E's and F's in my grades. Oh, right. And, you know, having my, having my parents spending this money and, you know, sending me off right. here to do this. And I go and to me, I always found that kind of like, almost disrespectful, not just to myself. Well, cause yeah, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, why do? So, <laughs> did, yeah. You, did you have the same thing there or were most- In, in many there? ways, yeah. Um, so there were, there were a few of us that were on scholarship. Uh, a lot more of them were from Chicago just because of the proximity. Mm-hmm. Um, my senior year roommate is actually from uh, Lexington, Kentucky. 
Okay. And he was on a scholarship. Uh, to this day, we still call each other and talk every week. Uh, he, we call each other roommate. It's just kind of like, it's just stuck. Um, so there were some, um, there weren't a lot given that the school is a, you know, it's, it's expensive and mm. they weren't handing out scholarships left, right. I mean, they had yeah. a few, um, but for the most part, I think what I saw was, yeah, certainly people that would squander the opportunity, but I think more, more common was, um, people who didn't thrive in that kind of an environment. It was a pressure cooker, mm. you know, and, and pressure either has people rise or they sink. Yeah. Um, and that was more probably the bell curve of experience that I saw was just people what, having a hard time. Gotcha. What, what was, what was the pressure like? I mean, you hear about military schools and stuff, but I, I don't know what it yeah. really entails. So can you talk us through some of the, I don't know, some of the more hardcore aspects of it? Yeah. I mean, a, a daily routine will pretty much explain this. Um, for all of us, Reveille is at 6.30 in the morning. That's when the bugle blows, the cannon goes, right? Um, as a plebe, you're usually up at 5 a.m. because you have duties to perform prior mm -hmm. to um, actually getting ready. Those duties include everything from, you might be on hallway duty to, from mopping and, and literally cleaning the, the stairwells with um, little scrub brushes, like toothbrushes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it could be um, toilets. You might be on toilets. Um, you had, so you had duties and, mm. and then you also had inspection every morning. It's called PPI. Personal inspection occurred at 6.50 in the morning. So technically if you woke up at Reveille 6.30 and you had to mm. be at PI at 6.50, there's just mathematically, there was no way to do it. So you yeah, had to yeah. get up quite early. Mm -hmm. um, and that inspection included things like your bed being made a very specific way. This little thing, what I'm doing with my hands here with, with my thumb and pinky extended is a measure of eight inches. The fold has to be eight inches on the dot. They come in with a ruler, your, your <laughs> t-shirts, your everything. If the hangers are two fingers apart, I mean, mm -hmm. there is a long list of a checklist. Uh, your brass needs to be shined. You know, your, your uniform needs to be correct. Your shoes obviously have to be spit shined and no mm -hmm. buff shines. And then Sundays you have a GI, which is a general inspection, which is even more rigorous. This okay. is just your daily inspection. Mm -hmm. um, and military means that you have classes on leadership. You have rank and therefore each rank uh, and role comes with duties. When I graduated as squadron commander, that meant that I was in charge of all of the um, squadron, which included the cavalry. So we were mounted cavalry. We rode horses and we drilled on horses. Uh, wow. We um, performed in uh, every presidential inaugural parade since uh, 1950 something. Okay. Um, rode an Indy 500 parade. So like we have a lot of military duties and performances mm -hmm. that are on top of your athletics and academics. So, you know, it, even writing class was a class that we used to do um, on Wednesdays. We would ride, go to the riding hall, march over there in the cold, go ride, untack the horse, then come back. And then we'd have the six 30 on and you had to shower. Cause I mean, you stunk. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's just an added layer. So if you try to balance high school being away from home mm -hmm. um, and the military as a plebe, you're getting yelled at constantly. And I don't mean like, you know, somebody just yells randomly, like their job is to yell at you, <laughs> to break you. I broke. Oh, okay. Hell, gotcha. My hell night. I broke first yeah. night. I, I cried. Yeah. Um, and their job is to then rebuild you. Uh, mm. You know, I think there's probably positive reinforcement ways that we could be building character in, in people. Yeah, I agree. At the same time, um, you know, I, I understood that a lot of those kids, myself included, like hadn't been through something like that. While I might have come from a low income background, I certainly was filled with love in my, in mm. my room. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't have that. So to have people coming down at me constantly literally day and night, seven days a week, no matter where you are, you're marching on campus, marketing in the halls, you know, you're squaring corners. You're not, you know, eyes are straight ahead. Like, mm. look, there's a lot of intensity that comes with that. And at some point you earn rank and now you start to lead people. And I understand that becomes uh, obviously a much more beneficial, uh, you know, skill in the future. Then. Okay. And so how long were you there for? All four years. Four years. Okay, cool. And then after that, what were, what was the next step? Um, so after that, I, I was also blessed. I, I earned another scholarship, a uh, full ride to Boston college. Nice. So, um, uh, you know, I, I've had some pretty good educational opportunities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, and it's not lost on me, uh, but I got a full ride there. And, um, while I was there, 
um, I was DJing. I had started spinning when I was 13. Um, and like I would sell mixtapes and whatnot in Culver, uh, okay. Indiana, Indiana was quite music starved. Mm-hmm. And so I would make mixtapes and sell those. And then when I was spin, when I'd come back to LA uh, in the summers. And then when I got to Boston, I started spinning basically six nights a week. Okay. Um, I kind of worked my way real quickly into that circuit. Um, what was your DJ name? A love. A love. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, why did you say, it. Oh, I'm seeing the dots connecting here, <laughs> but carry, but carry on. Yeah. And, um, and so as I was spinning, um, I started realizing like, uh, if I could take a cut of the door and promote, you know, um, I could make a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that and I started using AOL chat rooms to pull girls basically. I mean, my, my boys <laughs> were trying to pick up girls one by one. I was trying to pick them up like by the hundred in the groups. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what, what year, what year was that? 96. 96. Okay. So yeah. Internet prime early prime time, man. That was back yeah. in AOL disc days. Yeah. So, you know, I was using the chat rooms, pulling girls from there where the women went, the men followed. Absolutely. Uh, and soon enough, clubs would hire me to spin, but they also knew I walked in with an audience. That's awesome. Um, and that's kind of, I think maybe something we understand today, but that was pretty innovative. Back then. Mm, mm. It wasn't what we did as DJs. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, um, I mean, how did you get into, how did you even get into DJing? I mean, given, given the rest of the story, that sounds yeah. like something that's a little, you know, left field. How, yeah, did, you, totally. how did you get into spinning? The, the summer between eighth grade and, and starting at Culver in high school. Mm-hmm. So eighth and ninth grade, uh, a, a record store opened up in my town. It was called funky town records and funky town opened up and I just walked in. I mean, it was like a cool spot to go check out. And I walked in and I was like, Oh my goodness. Like there was a live DJ always spinning music. People will come up with the records, ask him to drop the needle, you know, skip through. Like it felt like uh, an amazing place. Yeah. And, um, there was a business card there that said 24 hour turntable rentals. Nice. And, uh, oh, you love this. I remember the guy's <laughs> name was Dom unique and his phone number said two to the one, to the three, to the five, to the five, to the five, like that. That's how he wrote his phone. Oh, number. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh, <laughs> who is this? Who is this? So I called him. Uh, and wait, is this, is this in LA or Indiana? LA. LA. Okay. Gosh. Gotcha. Yeah. I called, yeah, I called yeah, him I was up. Say. He was like 50 bucks for 24 hours. I'll come deliver and I'll pick it up. Uh, yeah. my uncle, had a garage. And so like, we didn't have any space, obviously where, where we live. Mm-hmm. My uncle had a garage. And, uh, so I asked my uncle like, Hey, could you pull one of the cars? Um, and like, I could practice this thing with my boy. Uh, we want to like kind of learn. And so he was like, yeah, sure. So we closed the garage and just ate, ate vanilla wafers and uh, <laughs> cool whip. Nice. And some orange Fanta. Very nineties. And, uh, and that's how it started. And, and fortunately the DJ at funky town, um, this guy Caesar was, Little did I know, but he was a radio DJ. He was actually like quite, quite well known in, in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he took me under his wing that summer. I carried his crates and his equipment, mm-hmm. <laughs> but in exchange, he showed me a thing or two. And that's really what, that's really what set me off from there. That's so awesome. I, man. I kept spinning at school dances, you know, in Culver, I'd made the mixtapes when we would have shopping trips to uh, Chicago. There was one place, the Marriott that would allow me to spin and drop a set and they would pay me for it. And so That's like, cool. you know, I had some, some opportunities to like grow that over the years. That's dope, man. Yeah. Awesome. Kind of wild, huh? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's cool, man. I, I love to know how, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know, I guess I'm also someone who, who does a lot of things. So yes, I know that in, about yeah, you. you know, it's interesting how people get involved in different things and you know, what, right. what, what sparked that, what sparked that. But so, isn't it, isn't it amazing how things can come back around in your life too. Like I always thought DJing was dead for me when I retired Mm. and like, look how it's come back Mm. for me. It's come back in the form of producer and writer. And that's a, that's a really unexpected thing, but that's kind of one of the beautiful things about life is if you have these passions and these skills, like I've kept my skills in music at least. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not one of those ones that got stuck in the nineties and was like, yo, I'm the golden (laughs) age. Like, cool. I mean, I love that, but I'm, I'm way up on music too. And yeah, yeah. look at that. Look how it comes back around. It's a beautiful thing, man. I feel really blessed that like I had that then. And once again, it's back in my life. Music Abs- is absolutely, man. I'm, I'm just big on people, you know, pursuing, not just pursuing their passions, but doing 
different things, you know, I, especially as time goes on. I think in the past, it used to be like, you know, everyone just be a one trick pony, you know, just everyone right. just do this one job. You train in this one skill and you do this for 40, 40, 50 years and that's it. Whereas now it's awesome just seeing so many people who are like, I don't know what they call them, multi hyphenates or just like this slash this slash this yeah, slash right. this. Yeah, totally. And, you know, some people yeah. think it, some people think it looks a little ostentatious if you put it in a social media bio yeah, or something, totally, but right. it is like, well, I do do, but I do, but all I do these things. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, I do do yeah. that and that and that. And some of them may seem really unrelated, but they can merge together in an interesting way, as you've said, you've done. Yeah. Um, with your book. So before we get onto the book, I know that you've uh, founded a whole bunch of different companies. So mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about that and what, what you did when the first one was, what yeah, it all sure. entailed, all that? Yeah. For, so my first uh, legal business, uh, the one where I had a tax ID <laughs> number okay. um, was, was DJing. Um, okay. So that was primarily mobile and nightclub DJing and then expanded um, into promotions. Um, and something that you'll, you'll see as a thread through my career is adjacent moves, mm -hmm. uh, what I call adjacent moves, meaning there was always one variable different, meaning I either changed uh, the product that I was selling to the same market or I sold the same product to a new market. So while I was DJing for nightclub owners, I then was promoting, I added a service, right? I started promoting for those nightclub owners. Mm -hmm. Then... I started making websites for those nightclub owners because I got really good at this chat room thing. Mm -hmm. And I started to look at like the, the dawn of websites. Um, I had the idea to build websites for nightclubs and put chat rooms on their websites. So people would come there and they could talk to their audience directly and basically run promos, talk about the night, which mm -hmm. DJ is coming in, all these kinds of things. Um, and, and so uh, that was my first, uh, how, how did you get, how did you get the skills to make websites? <laughs> uh like real talk man uh because yeah. that's the name of your show yeah yeah uh so i had this work study job as part of my scholarship on campus okay i was making 550 an hour five dollars 50 cents an hour and it was in the student employment office meaning that when people had jobs they would come in and i would manually post them onto a bulletin board like and, and then we had a website this indian dude comes in there he's a grad student and um he's like Hey, can you post this job for me? It's for a web website designer for Boston college. Um, and it was paying $6 and 50 cents an hour. And I was like, yo, like what's, what's up with this thing? He's like, well, I'm quitting <laughs> school. He's, he's like, I'm dropping out of school. I'm moving to this place called Silicon Valley. And I was oh, like, okay. what is that? So anyways, he's like, Hey man, like just post this job. And I was like, Hey, do you think like I could do this? Cause it would make a buck more and it would fit under the work study category. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, well, if you could learn HTML and I was like, well, how, when, like how fast he was like, well, I'm Monday, like I'm leaving. <laughs> okay. So it was a Friday. I went to the library, picked up an HTML book. I don't know if coding is in my blood. Maybe Indians, we are good at it. So maybe it was just in my blood. I don't know. But I learned how to do HTML over the weekend. I called wow. him up on Monday and I was like, Hey, can you recommend me? He was like, can you do it? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay. So he recommended me. I got the job. I very quickly was making websites and it was just like, instant click. You know what? Yeah. I might be doing this for work study here, but we could get paid if we'd go do this for the nightclubs. Yeah. 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 And so I formed the second business, which was called funky web. Okay. You know, an homage to my record store, funky town. So funky web was born and I basically was making websites for nightclubs, very niche, mm. but they had a lot of money to put towards marketing and okay. they did. And, and like, so get an idea. What sort of time frame was this? What sort of year? <laughs> I, I started in 96. Okay. While spinning. Okay. Uh, I ended up selling that business in 98. Okay. How, how did you sell them on the idea of a website at this stage? Because I mean, I remember early days of the internet. I mean, there was a time when people didn't see the point of even having an email address, let alone having totally. a website. So were those nightclubs just kind of ahead of the curve or did you have to sort of sell them the idea? of having a website? Um, neither really. The, the reality was I was really the only DJ at the time who um, I had a following that wasn't based on like pager numbers. Okay. Uh, right. Cause that's kind of how you used to get the word out. Yeah. Um, is it like 
you'd leave the voicemail on a pager or something. Um, my following was much larger than everybody else's for the most part. And I got access to people, new people all the time. I basically had shown folks like, this is what I do. I go online and I talk to people in these websites and I pull people like that was the secret sauce, if you will. So I already had this credibility mm-hmm. as like an internet guy. Okay. I get you. Yeah. And so okay. when I came to them and said, Hey, I could do this, but we just make one for you. Mm-hmm. Let's put pictures up. Like people will come, they'll see it, you know, like, and I'll drive them there from the chat rooms and be like, Hey, I'm spinning over at this place. I'm spinning over here. And the nightclubs I was spinning at were the big names. They were, they were the big clubs. They mm-hmm. were like uh, Roxy and Joy and Mady's Avalon. These were the big clubs. So once I, the first owner owned two of the clubs, um, this guy, Christoph, mm-hmm. once he said yes, pretty much everyone followed. He, he was like, you know, the leader in the space, if you will. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, man. So that's Funky Web. And what was after that? Yeah. So after uh, Funky Web, I saw e-commerce coming up right? And online shopping was going to like put every store out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I basically was like, all right, well, I want to try this e-commerce thing. Um, I got some money, not a lot. Um, but I had some money from the, from building the, the businesses and working and whatnot from, uh, from funky, from funky web. And so I said, okay, well, I want to sell something to rich people because rich people spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So what do rich people like to do? They play golf. And I knew these guys, uncle who's, who had the garage, he had these neighbors who owned a golf, a golf shop and they had passed it to their sons. The sons were older than me, but they were like closer to my age. Yeah, yeah. And so I went to them with this idea and we launched golfstore.com in 98. Um, we were the first Man, online man's ahead golf. of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> the domain name already is. Sick, yeah, right? for real. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you can imagine just. And we, you know, I hustled my way through that with these guys. They were, yeah. I mean, I had partners in, the, in the, the, the golf store because they had a brick and mortar and um, they knew the business, mm-hmm. frankly. I knew how to build a website and market and stuff. But um, we built that and we sold that in, in 2000 before the dot-com bust happened Okay. Um, to a, we had an iBank that, that facilitated the buyout um, and we were bought through, uh, sold to Liquid Golf, uh, this company at the time that Liquid Golf was kind of rolling up us golf travel, some other like golf kind of sites, and then trying to make like a one-stop destination for golf. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys kind of know what happens after that. The dot-com bust happens yeah. and um, we make no money on it. Uh, yeah. It was pretty much an equity deal. There's some cash, but pretty much an equity deal. What I didn't mention is my the other company, Funky Web. I didn't mm-hmm. even know what selling a business was. <laughs> I had heard about it. Yeah. So what I did was on a handshake, I told the guys that I sold it to, Hey, uh, here's my client list. They said, we'll give you this many shares. Mm -hmm. And like when they sold, I was assigned no rights. We didn't have a contract because I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Oh gosh. I didn't, at the time I never had an agreement in my hand once. DJing, zero contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Websites, zero contracts. Yeah. Just talking to people. Just talking to people. So I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh wow. So my first two sales were multi-million dollar sales on paper Mm -hmm. and they didn't turn out to be that way yikes okay yeah good lessons yeah absolutely man (laughs) that's the real that's the real (laughs) most people think in the dot-com days like you make a ton of money yeah man i bet you there were other people out there like me who just didn't know yeah of because it was wild wild west Mm. well hindsight's always 2020 man i mean and there wasn't a lot of encouragement you know, who was going to encourage me? My parents, actually, the reason I sold the first one, Funky Web, was my parents, you know, pretty much were like, hey, this is cool. And, you know, I was making a couple hundred grand in, in EBITDA by that time. They were like, this, mm-hmm. is, this is good. But, like, if this doesn't work for some reason, none of us have any safety net. Mm. Like, none of us. Yeah. So, you need to get your degree. Mm. Because I had a renewable scholarship to BC. Every year I had to have a 3.5. Okay. So otherwise I don't have my scholarship. And like, imagine I'm spinning at night making websites. I've got a team making websites. Frankly, I'm not even doing it anymore. I'm selling the deals. Mm-hmm. I got to keep my grades up. You know, it was, it, I was in jeopardy um, of, of losing my scholarship. So uh, I sold that company because of that reason to, to make sure that I could stay in school and, you know, get a degree and, and have like 
higher odds of success. Gotcha. But my parents weren't going to tell me to drop out of school. The school's not going to tell me to drop out of no, school. Of course not. No, no. And who was my example? Bill Gates? <laughs> right? Like, cool, yeah. Bill. But like, Bill kind of come from a different <laughs> background than me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? And that's kind of what, and that's one person. And that's one. And so like one of the reasons I like telling my story to people is because the advice I give is the advice of somebody who had no safety net. Mm. And I think we sound different. Those of us that had no safety nets, we sound different. We have different considerations. People are like today, oh, you don't need to, you don't need to work for the man. Like go get it. Like screw having a job. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You know how great having a job is? Mm work for somebody who's talented and can teach you. So focus on learning, but you have stability. You can break poverty. You can bring your family up. Mm. Like that's, those are huge. They're, they're not to be under, uh, underappreciated at all. And, and I just think a lot of advice today comes from folks who started on third base. I mean, cool, man. Like yeah. talk to those people though. But if you don't, if you started on first base or home plate, like me, mm-hmm. whatever the analogy is. Yeah, sure. Yeah, man, you can't use some of that advice. You can't say like, oh, work for free uh, for three years for somebody, you know, if you want to get in that space. Like, well, who, who can work for free? For that long. I need to get money. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's why it's, you know, it's so important to get different people's stories and perspectives because everyone's got a totally different background. And right. with that, especially when you get people who are successful from, you know, from different starting positions in every sense of the word and who have right. found success in different ways. It's, uh, you know, I think it's important for people to put their stories out there because someone might listen to, you know, I run my podcast, right. And I can talk to a whole bunch of different people and there might be someone who, okay, someone might think that guy's story and background is too far removed from my own to really right. relate to, to it. Yeah, yeah. To be relevant or yeah. to take some of that advice. Whereas for someone else that might be just what they need and it differs with every person. So that's yeah, totally. why, you know, I think it's important to get that whole range of perspectives. And it sounds like what you were just talking about there is somewhat related to uh, the company that you run now, which is called Flow. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So what is Flow all about? Flow is a holdings company. So similar to like Virgin, how Virgin has Virgin Records and Virgin Atlantic and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Flow is a holdings company and we have a number of operating businesses under it, primarily at uh, revenue generation for our clients. Um, we're either generating leads for them, converting those leads into customers or nurturing their customers so that they can continue to generate revenue. And we cross a number of different, uh, industries with that, but those are the, those are the core service offerings. Um, Mm -hmm. but I started the business after my last sale. Um, we're going to skipping ahead a little bit chronologically here, but my last company I sold in 2015, I had built that up from zero dollars to a hundred million in assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very, it was a very profitable, uh, exit for me. Yep. And so, um, after selling that, you know, I had kind of like the time and money situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I asked myself instead of, you know, what do I want to do next? I asked myself, what problem do you want to solve? Sorry, man. Sorry to interrupt that company there. That was, um, that was based in a different country. Is that right? No, that's a, that, uh, that's a different one. Oh, that's uh, a different one. Okay. I yeah, was reading it's a wealth management company called Lotus oh, Group. Okay. Okay. I can't keep yeah. up with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, it's hard for me sometimes. <laughs> uh, so, um, but, but, uh, selling that business, I, I needed to figure out what was next, but I, I needed to ask the right question. Mm. And the, the question of what do you want to do? Sorry, I'm going to interrupt again because there's, sure. there's going to be someone who's listening to this right now. Who's going, wait, hang on. This guy just glossed over going from zero to a hundred million. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So someone is like, what on earth was he doing? So we need that question answered. We need that question answered. All right. um, let's, let's, let's backtrack a little bit because <laughs> okay. I, I, there's, some, there's some progressive steps. Okay, okay, the progressive okay. steps. After selling golf store, yeah. um, I went into consulting. The dot-com bust had happened, mm-hmm. was happening. Uh, a venture capitalist friend of mine told me you should go into consulting and get a lot of exposure, et cetera, mm-hmm. to different companies. Um, I went to work for Anderson Consulting, the largest one in the world. Yeah, uh, I used to work for them. You did too? Well, once they changed their name to Accenture, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was at the point where they were Anderson to Accenture. Okay. Nine glorious months of <laughs> nothing. 
it was nothing for me. There was like literally, it was a terrible job for me. It was a terrible fit. Okay. But, um, not like I have a bad, I I say that sound like it sounds so bad. No, no. Uh, the work I had done previously still only put me into an analyst role, Mm -hmm. which is an entry level role there. And it wasn't a match for what I had already accomplished. Okay. Right. And so I, I was doing work that I felt was like, uh, you know, we should be a little bit more challenged. Sure. Um, a group came in, a group of consultants had come in to pitch Anderson or Accenture then to invest in them. This was during the time where companies like Accenture were investing in internet companies. And so these folks had pitched it. I had to prepare the presentation room. I had to make sure that, you know, like everyone had their PowerPoints, that they had the catered food. Like that was what I did. Mm-hmm. And I heard the pitch and I chased the dude down the hallway. Um, and I was like, yo, like, I'll come work with you guys. I'll join you. Cause they were just putting it together. <laughs> okay. I was like, serious. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I will leave this place like legit. Yeah. And they were all big five consultants and they left, you know, they're there. So they were like, yeah, let's talk. Uh, yeah. it didn't take much talking. Um, I was, I became the West coast. <laughs> they were all based out of the East coast. So I was the West coast. Okay. Uh, and then I built out that business. Um, it was a, uh, supply chain procurement consulting firm. Basically we negotiated contracts for fortune 500 companies and my biggest client became Microsoft. So I was negotiating for the largest company in the world to make sure that they had really good deals. Gotcha. Um, so that business, uh, I grew all the West coast and then I expanded to India Mm -hmm. And I built this operating center in India for Microsoft Asia, like Asia Pacific. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met my wife there in India. She was my recruiter um, and good old fashioned fell in love. 28 days later, I proposed. Wow. <laughs> Don't waste time. Yeah. Uh, and then the last year and a half of being at the consulting firm, um, my, uh, one of my partners from the consulting firm, had started managing money on his own and he was really good at it. He used to okay. show me his spreadsheets like, yo, check out how much money I'm making. I was like, yo, do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he started doing professional money management. And uh, so about a year and a half uh, before I left, I said, you know, I want to come join you on this. He had already started a company. I said, we'll start a new company. Um, so that way we're both 50 50 in this new venture. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll, do sales, marketing, and operations. You do the investing. Okay. And that's how we formed Lotus Group Advisors. After I had built up enough revenue over there, um, it was worth it for me to, to exit the consulting firm. Um, and so I did. Mm-hmm. And um, I was then full-time into Lotus Group, which is that company that I built from $0 to $100 million in assets. Okay, gotcha. Awesome. Yeah. Wow, that, that, that's a lot, man. This is a lot of... Uh... A lot of different companies and sectors and avenues, yeah. but it, it's it's fascinating to get. It's kind of wild looking back at that, being like, "Jeez, man. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man." So you are you are an author. Uh, you've recently written and released a book, which is called Bling, a fictional story, but based somewhat on your own life. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it's interesting because this book wasn't one that I ever set out to write. Um, I have a different book that's completely written in my editor's hands. I'm in a meditation uh, and I meditate quite deeply every day. So typically up to an hour and a half. Um, This message came to me in a meditation. I got out of the meditation. I was like, what is that? And I told my wife about it and we thought maybe it was for this uh, speech I had to do. I had to do a keynote speech and I thought maybe that's for this audience. Um, So I went up, I usually don't write a speech, but I went to go write this one down because it was like, I hadn't really been thinking about it. It just kind of came to me. So I went to go write it. Uh, Hours later, it turned into not a speech, but a large amount of text. Um, and so I ended up reading it to the audience. That was what I delivered. Okay. I told him, I wrote this the night before. <laughs> I haven't even edited it. You're about to hear it raw. Okay. Um, and what happened was unbelievable after that. And so it encouraged me to say, okay, this is a book. So write it. And so I wrote it. I went to go write it. I triggered flow state for four days, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., four days in a row. Kids were on spring break. My wife watched them. I just went up to the mountains here. 
and wrote. And then the fourth day it was done. So the first day being when I wrote it for the speech mm-hmm. and then four extra days, five days total, mm-hmm. the book was done. Um, certainly many more months worth of edits. Don't get me wrong. There's yeah, edits and proofs and all that stuff. But like yeah. my writing was done in that day. So I actually, uh, like the message was so strong and so compelling and it came really from, from my standpoint, it was like being tapped into the source. It just came to me. I just felt like I'm a good messenger for this one. Okay. And, um, and so I put it out and, uh, we've been blessed. You know, we, we, on the day that we released, we earned number one bestseller. Um, you know, people have been, people have been resonating quite a bit. We've got a huge amount of reviews now on, on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's kind of blown me away. What's, <laughs> what's all happening, but it's That's a parable. Awesome. Uh, okay. It's a parable about a rapper who goes on a spiritual journey. And what's the rapper's um, name? <laughs> rapper's name is A Love. Hey, there we go. Hey, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so it's it's obviously influenced by my life, but um, every character in the story is is influenced by somebody in my life. Um, but of course, in order to, to be fun and entertaining and, and grab, like there were, it's fiction. So there's mm. pieces of it that are combined, like A Love's backstory is loosely based on Nas. Oh, okay. It's not actually backstory based on my backstory alone. There's pieces, but I pulled from Nas because Nas, as you know, dropped Illmatic when he was what, 17? 18, I believe. 18? Yeah. Okay. Known as maybe the best album still ever. One of them. Definitely one of them. One of them. And so, but if you look at the progression of Nas's albums, what did Jay-Z say? One hot album every 10-year average? Ooh, that was Ooh, You remember that? I do. I, I, remember, I remember that very well. I remember hearing yeah. that song for the first time ever on, yeah. uh, on, Tim, Westwood's, on Tim Westwood's Saturday night show yeah. Uh, before, yeah, before the blueprint dropped. Right. And just when, when my, my, like, friends and I, my friends and I used to like religiously listen to that show once a week. <laughs> And yeah. uh, dude, when, when I remember when that, when that beat came on and the, the bar, I was, Ooh. we were just all in a room like, oh, was so oh. Nasty. that was, yeah. And then, oh, dude, that, that whole, that period from like, man, what was that? 2001. Mm-hmm. I feel like from like 2001 to 2004 in hip hop, that was just, oh. that, was, that, that was crazy when you had the whole Nas Jay-Z thing. Then oh, you had, yeah. um. You had a uh, Fifty Cent and Ja Rule. Oh yeah. You had, uh, you had Eminem and Benzino. Uh huh. D Twelve versus like like the whole. Oh yeah. The it whole thing. I know. It was actually it was kind of fun when it was kind of fun when uh was it Pusha and Drake got into it? Yeah, I, it was yeah, yeah. it was kind of fun. I was like, okay, I feel a little throwback here. Yeah, I like yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because because that was obviously pre-social media days. Now, so now people, yeah, are, right. You know, right. Send mean so, tweets or that uh Nas journey of like he dropped his dopest album kind of first gotcha and like he grew he grew in fame he grew in wealth um but everyone kind of has always been like so when are you gonna do that again though mm-hmm. right and i gotta think Nas kind of knows that yeah so i took some liberties with how he might have felt okay um but it was based on him like he was the first person to ever get a five mic uh, rating in Source magazine for a debut album. Mm-hmm. Um, a Love in the story is the second person to ever get the five mic rating. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. and <laughs> so, where, where is A Love from in the story? He is from LA. Oh, he's from LA. Okay. Yeah, yeah. the The opening scene is him overlooking the Malibu ocean in his mansion, and uh, you know he's got all the things. Okay, so he's already made it to begin with. At the, yeah, he's got the all start. the things. He's got just it, not it. feeling it inside okay i get you i get you yeah and so, have you had you written fiction before or was this your first no okay no the other book's a total non-fiction about making like social impact and building social capital and helping others like has nothing no fiction that's the beauty just i just accept and receive and then put my best to it no that that's awesome man yeah. So um, how's, how's the reception to the book going so far? You said it's got, got a whole bunch of positive reviews. I've seen a whole bunch of them on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's your plan for it? Is the plan just to keep kind of pushing the book or do you want to eventually expand it into something else? Or yeah. So I'll tell everybody right now listening, um, I have no business model attached to this book okay. and the album. The, obviously the book costs money. So it's, but like, to be honest with you, 
like book sales aren't going to put like, aren't going to do anything from my life financially. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Right. So, um, so there's no business model. And I also produced an album with this book. Okay. I didn't. Um, yeah. Uh, it's under a love. So if you go mm-hmm. to Spotify, iTunes, Apple music, whatever, it's under a dash L U V and it is a soundtrack to the book chapter for chapter, track for track. Okay. That's um, cool. And I produced co-wrote the whole, the whole album. Um, so I could help spread this message for me. The most important thing right now is to continue to spread the message mm-hmm. to have opportunities like coming on your show. Zuby, it means a lot to me. This is, this isn't just like me promoting a business. I, I literally have no business to promote. Mm. Literally, there's no like online course here. There's no summit. There's no life coaching. I literally have no way that I'm making money on this. It's that important to me that this message be heard. Life will unfold. Mm. Rest assured. And I, as you know, am an entrepreneur. Something will present itself. One thing has already presented itself. Um, I was telling somebody about the music and she said, oh, one of my big brand clients, it's a, it's a global brand. Mm-hmm. Um, we're about to run an ad. Do you think you can make music for the holiday season? But like something kind of cool, upbeat, whatever. In two days, that big brand, I had delivered three cuts, uh, three songs, three tracks, mm-hmm. and they're using them in their ads. Nice. I mean, how would I have ever thought to produce music for a big, big brand's commercials? It, nowhere in my, any business plan horizon, but it just came out of the, like, that's what just unfolds. And so I'm open, whatever is going to happen. Look, I don't have an expectation. Uh, but I do know, like I work really hard and things always seem to like unfold and Mm -hmm. whether they do in a way that somebody else might've capitalized more. I don't, I don't have any pain and suffering as I go through this. I have just joy. That's awesome. So like, it's just whatever it's going to be. Um, but for me, the main thing is the number one thing I appreciate is when people tell me uh, and they reach out to me, either whatever, email, DM, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, even whatever, is when people reach out and tell me uh, how either like me on this has impacted them, how the story, how the music has impacted them. That's, that's the full circle for me. I just want to know, like, did it help you? I'm with you, man. I'm with you. And uh, you said you want everyone to hear the message. I mean, what specifically is that message that you want everybody to hear and take on board? The prime message here is we don't have to trade off ambition for inner peace. Mm. They're often at odds with each other, right? If you're at peace with yourself, people will say like, oh man, I'm not trying to be complacent. You know, like I'm not trying to just like be cool with what I got. Mm. So therefore they feel like they have to give up the ability to just be at peace because they want to be ambitious. Yeah. Well, they're not really trade-offs. You can be both. And I am 100% ambitious. Like mm-hmm. nothing about me would scream, oh, this guy's kind of kicking back now. Like look, <laughs> I still operate a business that I love. I could have not done that. I could have become an investor Yep. and just called it. Yeah. I like operating. I like playing. I like the game. Mm. But at the same time, like I don't suffer whether or not we hit these revenue goals. I gotcha. If we did our, our actual work to get there, Hey, whatever it was, it was going to be, I don't control all the variables. That's for sure. And neither yeah. does, neither does anybody. Right. So like the tools that I want people to understand are all designed around that. So a lot of people ask me like, how do you do so much? Mm. It was going to be my next, it was going to be my next question. <laughs> Cause I know of course you've got, how many kids have you got? Two, two kids, six and a four year old. Yep. There you go. So two, two young children, um, you know, a, a main business you're running, books, music production, having the time to do this podcast and other things like that. I mean, I know, I mean, it's, it's a question I get. How do you, how do right? you balance everything? But I don't, I don't have any kids. <laughs> I don't have a family yet. Yeah. So how do you actually manage that all? For me, it is a matter of energy. Okay. Not time. And what I mean by that is if, if, if you were kicking at home, like, chilling in your sweats one night. And I was like, yo, let's go roll out, man. I'm kind of in a mood. Like, let's go out. There's a, there's a good music playing, da, da, da. Like, let's roll. Mm. Every once in a while, you'll find the energy, won't you? That's true. Right? Yeah. So you'll find the energy. So the thing isn't time. I believe it's energy. Um, and what we know about energy is the first rule of metaphysics is that uh, 
energy cannot be created. It can only be transferred. Mm-hmm. Well, that being a truth, um, we are all energy. So that means that we have a certain amount. Like think of it like a battery. There's a, we all have different battery sizes. You got a battery size. I got a battery size. It might be bigger. It might be smaller than the next person's. Mm-hmm. But whatever we've got is a percentage of that battery in any given day. And so the number one thing that I'm teaching in this book uh, that I think is really useful and practical for people is if you want to accomplish a lot, you've got to have a lot of energy because the prioritization will occur then. The time Mm. will occur. Mm. How do you hoard all your energy? You have to stop leakages. Leakages are the number one culprit to not having enough energy. When you feel drained in a day, it's because energy leaked unintentionally. There's times where you give your energy intentionally to things. That's not the issue. It's when you unintentionally leak it. And there's three things that cause unintentional leaks. Twitter. Unresolved conflicts. Oh, sorry. People. I was going to say Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> no, what are the real ones? Right. Unresolved <laughs> conflicts, okay. people, and things. And unresolved conflicts is by far the most detrimental to us because we can get triggered on all kinds of things. So if we don't handle those and know how, you're going to leak energy all the time that you cannot accomplish all you want. You've got to stop leaks. So in in the story, I'm teaching literally this and how to stop the leaks. Mm. So it's very practical. It's not this is not meant to be foo-foo anything. Like <laughs> nothing foo-foo works for me. Yeah, yeah. I need to like, I need practical stuff, but energy management is really important. Time management follows suits. Mm, mm. But if you don't have the energy, it doesn't matter that you put it on your calendar. You won't do it. That's a very interesting way of reframing it. Cause that makes, that makes total sense to me, mm. but I still, I tend to think of things more in terms of time, but the way mm. that you've just phrased that, that sort of changed my thinking. Although I, I guess I have always for a while had this idea of maybe not energy, but thinking you have a kind of limited amount of willpower almost, which can, you know, the willpower can kind of drain out so that if, you know, you get to a certain stage in the day and it's late and you've already done, you've already been to the gym and you've already been on point with your diet, you've already done your work, you've already done that, then your willpower is just kind of tapped out until you go to bed again and sort of recharge it. So I guess it's For sure. a little bit of a similar concept. Willpower is what you call upon when you've run out of energy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like a reserve. Right. So if you hoard your energy well, you have to call on willpower less. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. Awesome. You know, yeah. we're, com- we're coming up to an hour right now, but uh, this is definitely a conversation that uh, we, we, could, we could have for quite a while, but yeah. let the audience know where they can find you online and also where they can check out your book, Bling, as well as the For music. sure. Um, AndySeth.com, A-N-D-Y-S-E-T-H.com mm-hmm. uh, is kind of like the hub where everything is. Um, I would love to connect with listeners in any form, whatever ones you guys like. So whether it's dropping me an email uh, you could do that at Andy at Andy Um, you could find my Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, everything's there on the site, hearing what matters to people, what touches people, what questions people have. Like, this is what matters to me. This is, this is where I'm at in life. The, I think the beautiful thing is you'll get objective advice from me. Um, I have no pony in this race. I don't need to sell you anything at all. I have been blessed with successful businesses that allow me to do stuff like this. I am my business's biggest client. (laughs) So, you know, I have, I have those gifts. And so this is how I'm sharing and helping uh, people. So let me know if there's something that's on your mind or any feedback too. I'd appreciate that. There you go, guys. That's the offer right there. Not a lot of people say that. So uh, make sure you reach (laughs) out to Andy if you've got any questions or you want to tap his brain for anything. Yeah. Awesome. Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and, uh, I don't want to say good luck because I don't think you need it, but uh, I'll say so I'll instead. I'll take the blessings anyways, man. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say God bless and I'll say congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. Nice one, man. All right. Be well. I am the man. Stick with the slang. Stick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front. I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Stick like a bang.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.